everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Shannon Fleming. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to the R4 Summit, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. This episode, we're doing something a little different. Shannon has put together her own compilation album featuring music performed by female artists that we're calling Women in Music. So Shannon, how did this idea come about and what was your process for selecting the tracks in your playlist? Well, um, actually, the whole process came about because you had an idea several months ago for March, which is Women's Month. And you asked Bray and I to come up with um, albums that, you know, which album would we choose and we'll cover. And I got all excited about it because there are so many different female artists out there that I just absolutely adore. So, you know, I, I, I right away I spit out like Eva Cassidy Songbird because that, I mean, she's just one of the most phenomenal vocalists I've ever heard. The album's fantastic. And it has a but it's all cover tunes. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm going oh, mate, What about this one and this one and this one? And, and, and Matt said to me, my husband, Matt, he goes, well, why couldn't you just like pick some songs from like a bunch of different artists and like throw it in like as a, you know, like a Shannon's awesome women's mix volume one, like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, but for women. <laughs> yeah, nice. nice. And I was like, yeah, that would be really cool. And I said, but that actually introduces a whole other problem because how the hell am I going to choose these songs? (laughs) (laughs) So as you remember, Aaron, right up until like the the 11th hour, you're like, okay, what songs are you going to pick finally? I have list after list of artists and songs. I, off the top of my head, started just naming songs. I started typing them out to you. Because I just, I couldn't think of any other way to go about it. Because I had thought about it way too much, so I just, did whatever popped into my head. And that's how we came to this. Very good. (laughs) Okay, so without further ado, let's dig into a track-by-track analysis of this playlist in the order that Shannon has requested. The first track is titled God Bless the Child, performed by Billie Holiday. Them that's got shall have, them that's not shall lose. So the Bible says, and it still is news Mama may have Papa may have But God bless the child That's got his own That's got his own Yes the Shannon, what do you think about this? I absolutely adore this song. I mean, it's it's just so beautiful. And I love the part. I, I love the fact that she actually wrote it. Well, at least she, uh, well, she co-wrote, she co-wrote it. it. Mm-hmm. And, it, and there was a lot of dispute that went down between um, herself and Arthur uh, Herzog Jr. So it's it's um, one of those interesting things. I mean, Billie Holiday's life was completely covered in tragedy. I mean, she's this gorgeous voice, iconic and even the song itself is based on a fight between herself and her mother over just money. So it's, it's an interesting um, idea and it really is pretty poignant and it's, it's reflective of like her entire life story. I mean, she's, she's heartbreaking. She's one of my all time favorite musicians. And I love the fact that we're actually, I know this is supposed to be mostly a rock type of podcast, but she is through and through jazz, but she is just the epitome of gorgeousness. And she's influential. Oh, yeah, oh, no. Heavily, heavily influential. Yeah. I mean, in fact, all of the different artists, pretty, for the most part, all of the artists that are about to follow, every one of them have been influenced by her in one way or another. And that includes the next artist as well. And she's right up there in terms of influence overall as, as well. 
Right. So it, it's very so she interesting. she belongs. Mm-hmm. Billy belongs oh. on the podcast for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, she does. Yeah. So I had to definitely do her because she's, she's abs- I mean, I actually got a framed print of her on my wall. I'm staring at it right now from New York, 1948. It's that very famous photograph of her where she's kind of got her head back and she, you can tell she's like singing. Yeah. Well, she is yeah. singing and her eyes are closed and she's just beautiful. And that's right there on my wall. So, I mean, I, she's just awesome. Great. Great. I agree. I mean, if there was like a musical 23 and me, then like, you know, you may share a maternal haplotype with Billie Holiday. (laughs) 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 Without a doubt. Uh, Some of my information I'm getting off this is going to be a wiki fact, which we all know about. Um, Eddie Haywood's piano part is, I think, gorgeous in this. Um, And like Shannon already touched upon, supposedly it's taken for like an argument about money with her mother. Yep. To kind of be able to take that kind of pain and turn it into a, a, a beautiful, like, Song is awesome, and let's say the talk about her voice for a second. I mean, I've read that her range wasn't very wide, per right? Se, no, it wasn't. No. But what she did within the parameters of what she could do was just phenomenal. It's yeah. a gorgeous voice, and she it sounded almost like a trumpet in yeah, some ways, like trumpet phrasing through her voice. And that's what I've always dug about Billie Holiday. It's got a bit of a gravelly sound there, too, and it's mm. so original. I mean, when you hear her voice, you know immediately who it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just so original, and it's it, she kind of gives you chills at times. I mean, right from her early recordings right through, like, right, right to the end, which was a very short time, obviously. But it changed, of course, due to the amount of, like, drugs and alcohol, I'm sure, that she was oh, consuming. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, but even though it had changed as much as it had, it, it still retained that, I don't know, richness and um, depth of feeling that's required. Very good description. So this song was written in 1939. It was first recorded on May 9th, 1941, and then released in 1942. Billy re-recorded it in 1956. She was called Lady Day. She had a hard life, as most people know. It shows in her voice. Like Ray said, she didn't have a lot of range, but she was great at communicating her emotions and her phrasing, which she patterned after the jazz instrumentalists she worked with. A lot of the old jazz singers, that's what they did. Like they listened to their trumpet players or their mm-hmm. horn players and then patterned their vocal phrasing after that. Even Frank Sinatra did that. Oh, thing. yeah, with, with oh, the, yeah. the Dorsey Orchestra. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This tune is a slow burn with an easy, jazzy swing and shows how Billy could take a lyric and make it all her own. I didn't know about the mother thing. If, to me, the lyrics just seem to be about money, the haves and the have-nots, and those who make it and have their own money will be more fortunate in life, and those who don't will not. It's a sentiment that kind of unfortunately still rings true today. Mm. I didn't even know about the issues with her mother. Mm-hmm. Billy's life was a train wreck, but her music is truly timeless, and she is one of the most influential vocalists of all time, like we were saying. The next track is Take the A Train, performed by Ella Fitzgerald. If you miss the A train, you'll find you've missed the quickest way to Harlem. Hurry, get on, now it's coming. Listen to those rails of thrumming. On board, get on the A train. Soon you will be on Sugar Hill in Harlem. Shannon, your thoughts? Well, here's my other favorite, and she's just as influential as Billie Holiday, in my my opinion, even though she sounds completely different. I love this version of this song. I mean, and it's recorded, you know, with Duke Ellington and his orchestra, and it's just 
awesome. I mean, we were talking before about Billie Holiday and the fact that she could use her voice as an instrument. Well, this woman actually defined that. She could pull off a Louis Armstrong any day of the week and sound identical to him. Like you would think, like, is that him or is that her? (laughs) Who's playing? Exactly. (laughs) It's such a cool tune. And her voice is crystal clear, in my opinion, even though she can add like some of that like bit of a rasp or some harsher tone to it. Her, she still has a bell-like yeah. type of sound. It's pure. It's not oh, yeah. gritty. It's very pure. Yeah. yeah. And and I she always sounds so upbeat. Even when she's doing like more depressed type type pieces, she always, for whatever reason, there's like something that's like the polar opposite of Billie Holiday. She just sounds just so chipper. And the A train, <laughs> I think, is probably the perfect example of that. Because all it is is about riding the subway or the trains. You know, it's it's a great tune. I love it. Ray. Um, Ella Fitzgerald, I mean, what a superb vocalist, really. I mean, really, really I mean, I think that when I think, hear her sing, I think there's like sophistication, but it's fun at the same time. And yeah. like Shannon touched upon it. Yeah, it's like a, a playfulness. Very, very playful, but at the same time, very kind of urban and kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but something like you hear like at a dinner party, you know, maybe because so many movies have fused it in dinner parties, yeah. that's where I'm getting my information from. Mm-hmm. But, um... It's her voice is just really rich, and I've always loved her vocal vibrato too. It's like this really yes, kind of deep, so tight. Yeah, <laughs> big time, big time. Yeah. Uh, I know. And she, I like how she would play like the rhythm of the lyrics. Like, I mean, she would like hold back and she'd stretch a word out, which I guess was reflective of the jazz background she came out of. Um, I'm not sure what kind of training she had musically. She must have either really worked her ass off with those bands that she played with, and and had a great ear. I don't know, but whatever it was, the end result was awesome. Her background interesting because she didn't want to start out as a singer. She wanted to actually be a dancer. Oh. And what happened was when she was 17 years old, she actually went to amateur night at the Apollo at the Apollo Theater in New York City. And um, she, I guess there, she opted to sing instead of dance. I guess there was something that came up and, and she happened to win first prize just on a whim. She changed her mind because somebody else had, like, I think she thought somebody else was better. And I know I can't say that for sure. But anyway, so she decided on, on the whim just to go ahead and do this. And that was the beginning of her career. Wow. Literally. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> we're so she lucky that homeless. she changed her mind. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. We're I mean, all the better for extre- it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're talking about a woman who had an extremely rough childhood. I mean, she was born in Newport News. Her mother died. Her stepfather allegedly abused her. And she wound up in an orphanage. She escaped from it. And then she ended up like, I guess she got caught and she ended up in a reformatory school. And then she became a homeless. I mean, she became a homeless and she survived by singing on the streets wow. in Harlem. Wow. It's, it's incredible. I mean, when I think about these women from this time period and the types of like uh, obstacles and, and she's the, their realities are nothing like I can even begin to imagine. And look what they became. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it's like the total I mean, Horatio Alger story, you know, put into real life terms. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's very poignant. I mean, like, you know, Ella and Billy have very similar childhoods. I mean, but, but, you know, Ella went to go to live much longer where Billy cashed in. She soon. burned out. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. quickly. So it just comes to show you if, you know, how we're going to take all of our, our life experiences and how we shape them and how we infuse them and I don't know. I guess it just depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That resiliency. Some people got it. Some people don't. Absolutely resilient. That's exactly the word. Ella Fitzgerald, the first lady of song, queen of jazz, Lady Ella. This song is a jazz standard by Billy Strayhorn with lyrics by Joya Sherrill that became the signature tune of the Duke Ellington Orchestra. 
It's a great example of Ella's voice, which is just so clean and pure, like we were saying, and shows off what an incredible scat singer she was. Nobody could touch her. She practically sounds like another brass instrument, like we've been saying all along here. Mm -hmm. For a time, she and Billie Holiday were rivals, though they ended up as friends, but Ella ended up having a long and distinguished career, unlike Billie, who burned up and flamed out, like we've already said, too. The lyrics are nothing fancy, just that you can take the then-new A-train subway in New York to get to Harlem. The music jumps along behind Ella as she sings, her pinpoint control and flawless intonation on display. It's a great track from a legendary singer and orchestra. I gotta tell you, I'm not even that big into scat singing, but she's by far my favorite scat singer. Oh yeah, no one can She is the best. Nobody can top her. Nobody. Nobody at all. The following track is Something's Got a Hold on Me, performed by Etta James. I just wanna tell you right now that uh Ooh, I believe, I really do believe that Something's got a hold on me, yeah Oh, it must be the How about Etta? Etta is somebody that I did not, I've never even heard of her until I was in my early 20s. And of course, at this point, I've already known quite a bit about jazz and whatnot. And I wouldn't necessarily classify her as that. She's really R&B. But she also has this distinct type of 50s sound. Like, it's like almost like, um, yeah, it's a 50s, like R&B type sound. It's it's different. And um, what's interesting about this particular song, though, is that it's like soul, blues, and gospel all mixed together. And I love it. It's just so, so catchy. And I love her screaming. Her singing is fantastic. And she, I mean, really is so different from the last two. It it, it makes her, it, she's distinguished. Once again, you know when you hear Etta James. I mean, I almost picked um, At Last because I think she's probably best known for that song. But this is a gem stuck in the middle somewhere. And, and it's it's just so cool, and I know that there have been a few artists out there that have covered it, so it's it's interesting. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just love it. Right. <laughs> it's kind of funny because the first time I ever heard at a James is actually when I saw her opening up for BB King, and yeah, check. Well, out. you saw her live. Yeah, at Tanglewood. Oh my god, oh, wow. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Oh. It was it was it was Elvin Bishop, Jimmy Vaughn, oh Jay Giles. Was with his blues band when he stopped doing the Jay Giles band and just yeah. do like more like straight up blues stuff. Etta James and right after Etta James was BB King. Holy shit! And wow. Etta was her, her performance is I pretty is a blues show, but her performance was extremely blue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking like Miley Cyrus <laughs> twerking kind of stuff. Oh jeez! And then BB came out. And he's like. Look, this is supposed to be a family kind of a show. I have to apologize for that. But, you know. <laughs> it seems to me like I read at some point, wasn't Etta James and B.B. King, like, weren't they lovers at one point? Like, I mean, like years and years and years ago. And I can't remember for sure. B.B. spread his seed oh, wide. B.B. got, got around. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, had to, he had to stay on tour just to support Yeah, what, yeah, 12 different kids by 12 different women or something? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. 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 No, yeah. I was going to say, I think she was like around 16 years old or something like that when they met. Yeah. So I, I I just can't imagine it. I, that must have been a hell of a lineup. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. But it was good, though. It was good. Her voice is top-notch. 
and holy gospel influence on the song. You can really hear the gospel influence in her vocals in this part. And she has this, this growl that she does, kind of like yes. her screams and her growls. And the growl reminds me of uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp, who was a, um, a gospel singer who played electric guitar brilliantly, might I add. And so you, you can kind of see how I'm sure like, their paths probably intersected or, you know, they tra- I'm sure they just traveled in the same circle. They probably rubbed off on each other, influenced yeah. each other. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, for, from what I know about the song is I've heard it's been sampled by Avicii and Flo Rida. Whoa. I don't know from Flo Rida. I know a little <laughs> bit about Avicii. Florida? Yeah. <laughs> See, I yeah, just, Florida. I, the only thing I know of is like Ike and Tina Turner covering it and Christina Aguilera. And that's about Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it had been sampled. That's interesting. And I, and I don't know who those artists are. That's really interesting. All right. See, we're no longer hip anymore. <laughs> that's okay. I'm good. <laughs> Etta James, Miss Peaches, the matriarch of R&B. Etta wrote this with Leroy Kirkland and Pearl Woods. It's got that gospel tinge beginning with the choir backing Etta up in a call and response style. And then it develops into a bluesy R&B number with the choir still present. Etta had a big, powerful voice that was very versatile and she could handle just about any genre of music you could throw at her, from jazz to rock and roll. She also had a turbulent childhood, and she had her own issues with substance abuse and jail time as an adult, and that comes out in some of her raw performances. She had that sass in her voice that was very influential to later blues belters like Janis Joplin, who we're going to run into a little bit later. Lyrically, Etta's in love, and it feels strange, but it sure is good. She's got it bad for this guy. This was released as a single that reached number 37 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart and number 4 on the Billboard Hot R&B Sides chart. The next track is Crazy, performed by Patsy Cline. Crazy I'm crazy for feeling so lonely Crazy for feeling so good. I knew you'd love me as long. Shannon, what do you say? Well, this is the most famous version of this song. I know that Willie Nelson wrote it. I know that Patsy's husband, Charlie Dick, actually, um, I guess he had a drink with him at the bar and at a bar or something like that. And this was after Patsy had her massive car accident. And he got this uh, demo from Willie of, of the song and he gave it to Patsy to listen to. And she initially didn't like it. She just thought, there's no way with my vocal style, am I going to be able to pull this thing off? So she went ahead and she recorded it anyway, I guess once she was able to get back in the studio. And they did it like in one take. I think that's the way I understand it, which is like legendary. And it's so different from the original and so perfect. It doesn't get much better than that. There are opera singers out there that completely revere this woman. That's how beautiful her voice is. It is one of a kind. She didn't even have to do country. She could have pulled off any genre as well. It's just pure velvet. If I think of Patsy Cline and the way that she sounds, it is velvet. And her range is decent. And she's, but I would call her basically an alto. I mean, flat out alto, but she can reach, reach right up there into, you know, certain soprano type registers, at least a mezzo. I mean, just absolute perfection. The way they recorded and orchestrated the song, it, it's just simple. 
nothing complicated. The piano is just amazing. She's just amazing. I love Patsy Cline. Ray. Wow. An, another great vocalist. Um, and she, when she's singing the song, she's actually really selling the lyrics and the yeah. performance. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of funny. I remember I heard somewhere that, like, this song is actually sometimes found in the background of people killing themselves, too. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to hell with all the, you know, the Judas Priest and Ozzy Osbourne. It's Patsy we should blame. Put Patsy on trial. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to um, kill myself, and I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> Personally, I've always been a big, big fan of Triangle. Tra-la-la-la-la. Ding! But that's just me. <laughs> but, but no, I love this song. I mean, it's, it's production-wise, it's gorgeous. you got a great blend of the piano and the pedal steel and the background vocals, too. Oh, yeah. And from what I kind of understood about the background of it, Patsy wasn't even a big fan of this song when her husband played it for her. You know, yeah. it's kind of spoken word, and he was doing stuff behind the beat, and that she couldn't sing that way, but... I'm glad whatever happened to change your mind, change your mind, because this is a timeless piece right here. Yeah. She's probably the most influential female country music vocalist of all time. You can hear bits of Patsy in everyone from Reba McIntyre to Leanne Rimes. This song was famously written by Willie Nelson when he was a struggling unknown songwriter, and it became one of Patsy's signature songs. It's a slow ballad that has elements of country, but also has that rolling piano and doo-wop backing vocals that give this track a crossover appeal. At first, like we said, Patsy hated Willie's vocals on the demo and didn't like the song, but her producer, Owen Bradley, arranged it in this form, and they tried to record it, but Patsy had broken ribs from that car accident you talked about, Shannon, and she couldn't hit the high notes, so she came back a week later and nailed this in one take. Yes. It's a brilliant performance highlighting her clear, rich voice that still communicates her vulnerability, and the production is so stellar it captures every nuance in her delivery. The lyrics reflect that the singer feels like she's crazy for loving someone who ends up leaving her, and she's still amazed that she pines for someone so unworthy. Unfortunately, Patsy died tragically at age 30 in a plane crash on March 5, 1963, another one gone too soon. This track was a single that reached number nine on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart and number two on the Billboard Hot Country Singles chart. You know what I heard her sound described as, especially with the production level on it, compared to like other like Nashville kind of recording time, Countrypolitan. I think that's huh. a interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to say. Yeah, 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 definitely. That's cool. I mean, because you you were talking about like we were talking about emotion and all that before. You know how well it, it really comes through. She does. You can. It's like her voice just drips with emotion. It's all about angst. I mean, it, it's just so perfect. She purrs it. It's, it's just, ah, oh, it gives me chills actually every single time I listen to it. It's just so intimate and beautiful. The following track is Me and Bobby McGee, performed by Janis Joplin. Shannon, you like Janice? I love Janice. And you know, it's so sad that Pearl came out after she died. <laughs> I mm. mean, right just a few months. I mean, she 
she died. In fact, with this particular song, she died like what, a few days or something like that after it was recorded. Um, it was written by Chris Christopherson and Fred Foster, I believe. Yes. Um, and it's, it's just such a cool tune about, you know, being in the car. I guess Roger Miller covered this first and it's, you know, it's so funny. I went back and I listened to it cause I was just curious because, you know, Janis Joplin does the most famous version and the most beautiful version of this song. And I swear it sounds like a cross between Hank Williams and Johnny Cash. It's so different and so like riding on a horse going through the, you know, like type thing. And she completely takes it. There is a bit of a country flair to it, but she also adds this beautiful rock to it. And I love the acoustic going on and how it picks up even with like all the keyboards and whatnot. And I love just the subject matter of the song. I've been a huge fan of Janis Joplin's, um, Gosh, geez, I guess forever because, well, for one thing, our father was into Big Brother and the Holding Company. He had cheap thrills. I don't know if you remember that, Aaron. Oh, of course. Okay. He played it all the time. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, she- He actually preferred Big Brother to Pearl. Yes, I know he did. And, you know, and I do like Big Brother a lot, but Pearl is truly what it is. It's 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 a real, uh, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's, an, it's a stellar album. And- she, it's just so strange that it, you know, that it came out posthumously. I mean, she so deserved to have that spotlight. She, she was a kind person in life. She, she was a little, you know, insecure and whatnot, but she was such a powerhouse vocalist and she was just fun. I mean, it's just, it's really strange and it's, it's a great tune. I guess I kind of went on a, on a rant there, but that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, this is probably this song and the uh, Mercedes Lord Won't You Buy Me and Mercedes Benz are yeah. probably like my two favorite Janis Joplin recordings of all time. I, my sister, she had um, the album you guys just mentioned. The one Pearl. Called, Pearl, not Pearl, the one, oh, the, the big Cheap Thrills. Cheap Thrills. The, the, I can just, the cartoon I can, on the cover. I yeah. can picture all the R. Crumb yes. artwork in my head, yep. like yep. the Cyclops, Peter, and yes. yeah, all that stuff. But uh, I heard Take Another Little Piece of My Heart so many oh, times. Yeah. Like for years, <laughs> it turned me off to her. But. Uh, but then I had an ex-girlfriend who like played this song uh, and the Mercedes-Benz song repeatedly, and I was like, wow, man, I just really should have given her more of a chance. Yeah. And wow, her vocals were awesome. And the, the whole band she has backing her is great. And I love how the, it just kind of builds up to like a rave up at the end of the song. Yeah. And uh, that's what I got. Yeah. The interesting thing, too, about her voice, she's kind of similar to Billy in the respect of that she was such a heavy um, drug abuser and alcoholic that you could hear even in Pearl towards like... More towards the end of her, well, obviously the end of her career, you could you could hear, especially in songs like "Summertime," and as beautiful as the song is, you can you can hear like it's almost getting stretched to the limit at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was going to lose it eventually. It seemed it was straining already. It mm-hmm. really, really was, and um, so it would have been interesting to see what what would have happened with it if she would have lasted had she had lived. So, because Dad had the Pearl and the Cheap Thrills albums. Obviously, this voice was hardwired into us very young. This song was written by Chris Christopherson, Fred Foster. And for me, it's always going to be that no, 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 song I heard with that gritty, bluesy voice. Janice poured her whole body into her performances. And if you watch a clip of her, it's easy to be mesmerized by the way she kind of sways and shakes as she sings. She's another one who lived hard and died young of a heroin overdose, one of the 27 Club, 16 days after Jimi Hendrix bought it, and Jim Morrison would follow not too long after her. 
She broke down barriers for women in rock music, and this song is one of her most popular. The acoustic guitar, clean electric guitar, piano, and organ provide the proper backdrop, but this tune is all Janice as she sings of two drifters who meet on a train, share a connection, and later they split up, and she misses and longs for Bobby McGee. I dig the way she almost slurs. <laughs> it's a great song, and it was a huge hit, reaching number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. The next track is You're No Good, performed by Linda Ronstadt. Shannon, what do you think? I love this song, and I remember it really early on. Um, I guess it had to have been in the 70s. We had to have been kids, and of course, it had already been released. I think it was it was out there like the year I was born or something like that, but I remember hearing it on the radio quite a bit. And the reason why I chose this song was after doing Van Halen 2 and hearing Van Halen's version of You're No Good, it was like, oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no. And I know that this is not, you know, it wasn't written by her, and I know she wasn't the first person to, to actually perform it. She, although, you know, she did do the most famous version of it. This song and this artist were the biggest thing of the 1970s. I mean, she set the tone for women in music moving forward in all genres. I mean, she, I mean, she was like, basically like considered like the first arena class female rock star. I mean, she was like the most highly paid. She worked with so many people. She had how many Grammys? Heck, I think she was even like nominated for a Tony. I think she's actually won like a Golden Globe or something like that. I mean, she is over the top, one of the best musicians out there. And her voice is pristine. It's bell-like and she has a range that is out of this world. Not to mention the fact the woman was drop dead gorgeous. Oh, my God. oh yeah, she was. Yeah. She had the entire package. I mean, it was really, it's really, really interesting I guess most people would know who she is, but you know, today, I mean, would most like would most newer generations would they even know what the name is? I mean, that's how, what a big. That's, no. I mean, that's how mm. huge she was, and how yeah. big mm. a deal and the footprint that she left for women moving forward. And that's why I wanted to include her. You remember her on the Muppet Show? Oh, Kermit had the hats for her. Absolutely. How all I remember is watching that and doing, watching her do Blue Bayou and just thinking, yep. wow, she makes me Ribbit. feel kind of funny. Ribbit. <laughs> Ribbit. <laughs> yeah. Kermit would have left Peggy for her. Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> Again, this, this song was a cover song, but, you know, I did make a note to say that the Muppets covered it as well. As, you yes. know, and I can Tina Turner again. <laughs> but don't forget the fabulous version by the Mrs. Wayne and Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, X. <laughs> Ray? Uh, well, once again, kind of like the Van Halen version. Every time I hear this, all I can picture is Bill Murray's lounge singer act and him <laughs> going over to her table going, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. Miss Ronstadt, you're no good. And then her bodyguard fucking just punches him in the face. And he goes, 
<laughs> One of the highlights of my childhood as well as watching Linda Ronstadt perform Blue Bayou on the Muppet Show. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I like this way better than the Van Halen cover. It's, it's a great song. <laughs> um, the, the, the weird guitar bridge, I got to make point of that. Some of it almost kind of reminds me of some of the 80s post-punk stuff. I couldn't tell from the notes if this was Ed Black or Andrew Gold, but it's got this weird kind of uh, John McGeoch from Susie and the Banshees kind of a pick thing going on there. It almost seemed like it was... It does like it's a precursor to his work on like Happy House and songs like that. So like I don't really associate Linda Ronstadt with post punk, but supposedly she went through a new wave phase, and she yeah. and uh, Danny Korchmar put out a new wave album at some point after seeing Elvis Costello live. So I mean, who knows? But um, I love the the tremolo effect in the guitar chords in the uh, in the intro. It's pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. I covered a Linda Ronstadt album with Jesse Jackson of the Set Lusting Bruce podcast a while back. Now, I didn't care for that album. We also covered this song on our Van Halen 2 episode not that long ago. And I've got to say, this is my favorite version of this song, hands down. I remember hearing it on the radio in 1974. It was written by Clint Ballard Jr. And this version has that Eagles type of California rock sound. And that plays right into Linda's vocals, which she belts them out on this cut. Usually she has one of those clear, powerful voices. But here she's not afraid to put a little growl into it, which you didn't hear that often from her. The lyrics are about someone who's gotten out of a toxic relationship and is better for it, but then goes on to break another person's heart and knows her behavior is no better than the guy who did her wrong. I like the backing vocals and that long note that's held by the string section before the song goes into the outro. I love this. When I think of Linda Ronstadt, this is the type of track that comes to mind. And this was a huge hit, reaching number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart. And like you said, Shannon, she was one of the very biggest artists of the early and mid-70s. The oh, yeah. Eagles were a backing band for That's a while. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Before they even got their again, own record contract, I thought. Yeah. Well, exactly. And again, I read, I mean, literally, it said one of the most successful female recording artists in U.S. history. For sure. So, I mean, that's just, I mean, how did she get, like, kind of, I guess she's not in the sideline. She's done so much work. So, But you just don't hear about her. And maybe it's just because she did have to retire, which yeah. is sad. Mm-hmm. So, and her later career, she morphed into doing like uh, theater stuff yes. and then Spanish music. Which she always and, had a love for early on too. But you're right; she really kind of did gravitate that way and and stay yeah. and stay there. So, and I, I right. get it. You know, it's it's a maturity age type of thing. We all move on. So, but man, she is just unforgettable. The following track is Barracuda, performed by Hart. Shannon, how about this? I love this song. Holy crap. This is like what I think of like early on rock and roll, you know, like hard rock, um, even grunge style. I mean, I know grunge was definitely inspired by heart. This is the band. I mean, they early on were doing things that women wouldn't be doing for a couple more decades, at least. It, it, at least, you know, mainstream, I should say. Powerhouse duo in terms of vocals 
and the writing, and they've got a great backing band. I mean, it's just, it's such a cool tune. And talk about female power. Oh my God, this song is all about power. And oh my God. God. Yeah, and I don't even want it to come out that way, and somehow it is. <laughs> the hell is that? It's like, what is this? Like, not even the 80s yet I'm talking like that. That's terrible. Um, the thing that like, I wow. Think, yeah, like, wow. Um, the thing that I really found interesting about this song, this little note, is that this was actually used in the 2008 Republican National Convention in reference to Sarah Palin, that, which at the time was John, John McCain's running mate. And she forevermore became known as Sarah Cuda. Well, the Wilson sisters had a real problem with that because they're Democrats and they were supporting Obama. So they actually had a um, cease and desist letter sent to the actual McCain campaign from their attorneys telling, I mean, it's, it's incredible. They couldn't use the song anymore after that. That's how strongly they felt about what had become of it. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. It, it's, I've, I've read that the song is supposed to be about um, some sort of an anger, like, I, I guess it was fire back at an old label they had called Mushroom Records, I think. Like, there was some yeah. sort of a, 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 like a, what was it, some sort of a, a stunt or some sort of publicity stunt that was written up about some incestuous relationship going on between the, you know, somebody there and like the Wilson sisters. Again, I'm paraphrasing. That's kind of what I read. I don't know if it's true, but I don't care. This song rocks. And if you're a woman, this is the song you need definitely in your backpack. <laughs> All right. Ray. Wow. Ann Wilson, another great, great vocalist. Um, have you ever seen the footage of them doing a version of Stairway to Heaven? Yes. For like yes. Robert Plant and Jimmy yeah. Page. Yeah. Awesome. At the Kennedy Center Honors. Yeah. 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 Amazing, amazing. Yeah, it was. And let's face it, that riff is awesome. I don't care if they supposedly nicked it from Nazareth. I'm, yeah. I mean, Nazareth had a couple good riffs. But yeah. I mean, <laughs> whatever the Wilson sisters did when they're getting a hold of this, they made it that much better. And I was going to mention the part that you already touched upon about the incest rumor, which is kind of a weird thing about the music industry and as far as being male-dominated. That hasn't changed. There's a Canadian kind of folk pop group called Tegan and Sarah and I guess some record company tried rec- like spreading rumors about the two of them too oh, they're like geez. identical so it's I know like, who they like, are yeah 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 it's like I, I don't know Vivian I think it's like you know, one of their songs and I can't remember the name of it now but she liked it when she was really little and it was hmm. on a few of like the, you know the younger like children's tv shows like a uh, yo gabba hmm. gabba type thing Wow. And, was it Walking with the Ghost? Yes, that's the one. That's the yeah. song. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, that, that, that's a really good version by Jack White and Meg White, too. Huh. I recommend. But, uh, yeah, I can't really say much more about this song, except for, like, now when I hear, I just picture Lucy Liu walking in a power suit in part of it. <laughs> <laughs> with the two other um, Charlie's Angels behind her <laughs> when I hear yes, the song. Definitely. Yeah. Who says women can't rock? This is probably Hart's best-known and signature song. It was written by Ann Wilson, Nancy Wilson, Michael DeRozier, and Roger Fisher. Ah, the Wilson sisters. Brunette Ann the singer and blonde Nancy the guitarist. <laughs> Dig that incessant galloping riff. Many people think it was inspired by Led Zeppelin's Achilles' Last Stand, which makes sense because Hart had been called the female Led Zeppelin, but Nancy claimed it was inspired by the riff from Nazareth's cover of Joni Mitchell's This Flight Tonight, and that's... Obviously uh, where it is from, because I've heard uh, yeah. both of those tracks. Oh, it's right much on. more like the Nazareth song. <laughs> Lyrically, it was inspired by the Wilson sisters being pissed off at their old record label, Mushroom Records, who concocted an incestuous affair between the sisters. And someone later asked Anne in an interview where her lover was referring to Nancy. 
and that pissed her off and led to the words of this track. And if you, like, you look at uh, Dreamboat Annie cover, mm-hmm. how they mm-hmm. look like they're naked standing yeah. back to back. So, they, yeah. yeah, they jumped all over that. Of course. Anne's got one powerful set of pipes. I'd put her up against any male hard rock singer. She totally has the goods. Nancy's no slouch on guitar either, and this track just comes at you like the badass fish the title implies. I'm so glad you put heart on your album, Shannon. I've always loved this band. This song was a single that reached number 11 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 chart, I Heart Heart. (laughs) (laughs) The next track is Time After Time, performed by Cyndi Lauper. Shannon, how about this? I love Cindy Lauper. I mean, she is, you know, when you think about Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun. So you have to have her on, on this mix as well, because she's also an incredible songwriter. Heavily, I mean, she is huge in the 80s at this point. And this is like, I think this is her debut album. This is from the She's So Unusual, Time After Time, I should say. But what's so funny about this tune is that, so you did, you had like girls want to just, you know, girls just want to have fun. You had the song from the Goonies. They were all pretty like, you know, funky, upbeat, 80s type of tunes. But then Time After Time is a real serious ballad. It's a love song. And it's just beautiful. And I think it was written with um, the guy from the Hooters, uh, Rob Hyman. And um, it's, and it was covered. I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful tune. It makes me cry almost every time I hear it. It's just, I love it. And, you know, the lyrics are incredibly poignant. It, which is kind of funny because it's named after like a 1979 sci-fi movie of the same name or something like that, which that would be totally like Cindy Lauper. But, um, <laughs> but right down to like the MTV video, because MTV is full swing at this point. Here we are in the 80s. And, you know, it's just you can see this breakup happening, but there it's just so sad and beautiful. And it became such a popular tune that some notable artists ended up like covering it later on, including Miles Davis and Eva Cassidy, of course. So. It definitely remains one of my favorites. All right. Ray? Actually, like, one of the things that always stood out with, for me with this song is the, the guitar tones that are kind of going on. Um, particularly, like, there's a part between, like, the se- the first chorus and the second verse section, that, like, weird kind of tremolo-y, yeah. kind of watery yeah. thing going on there. I really like that. Is that an organ or a synth playing in the background? I think it's a synth. Doing? Yeah, I think it's okay. a synth, too. All right. That clears out. Thanks, God. Uh, so yeah, Rob Hyman and Eric Bazillion of the Hooters helped do this, and if you, it's kind of interesting. Because Bazillion later on went to do um, "What If God Is One of One of Us" by Joan Osborne, yeah. which was another song from like from a different decade, but also equally got in your set head with the guitar part. So th- once again, Hollywood taking a song and turning it into something. I always picture uh, Mia, Mia, Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow doing interpretive dance <laughs> <laughs> from the end of Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. When I hear this song now. <laughs> Whenever I hear it, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't like you know totally like ruin the song for me. It's just, it's just like one of those things that just can't shake the image of that. I still think it's kind of funny. Um, the vocal harmonies and the chorus are really mint. I think definitely on my funeral mixtape <laughs> of songs that I've got going towards the end as I get a 
as I take the dirt nap, and I think I've let my wife know that. Uh, maybe not, but if, <laughs> maybe if she listens to the podcast, she'll know. Cindy <laughs> uh, Lauper was a great singer. I mean, she's quirky sounding, but at the same time, but she also just had like a lot of talent, a lot of a lot of good te- vocal technique, you know. So, yeah. ain't nothing wrong with Cindy Lauper. And you know what? She had Captain Oil by the way. She did. She did. <laughs> so she came through that. Yeah, she had that professional wrestling connection. I remember yeah, that's that. Right. Remember yeah. him in the videos? In fact, he would yeah. appear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah. She, she puts him. She put him in like a half Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> girls just want to have fun. She was really a wild chick, and that's why I like her so much because. Women today, I mean, this is kind of their year. I mean, well, you know, 2018 into 2019, I mean, it's all about women. These women were pioneers in the music scene. They were trying to make a, you know, they were trying to make a real, I was going to say take a stand, but they were also trying to make a real impression on what it should be. They weren't afraid to just show who you are. And we're just as equal as anybody else, as, as any other man, I guess. So, you know. <laughs> Women rock. Yeah, I think, I think about lineages and stuff. Like, I don't think you're going to have, like, a Gwen Stefani without yeah. uh, Cindy Lauper sure. putting in the way. Absolutely. Yeah. She, yeah. Again, yeah. That's a, a good pioneer. point. Yeah. yeah. She, you know, and I, I should have said something like that because she did. She she was also another, like, you just said the perfect one. I mean, a pioneer in terms of, I, I guess it would be almost it, new wave, I guess. Wouldn't you call her new wave? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. Some of her music has elements of it for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, is she just straight out pop or is she like, what is? what would you call her style? I've always thought of her as 80s pop. 80s but pop, that, yeah. That involved, that new wave was a part of that. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, of course. So, Yeah, she's cool. I remember Cyndi Lauper kind of burst on the scene in 1983 with her weird colorful haircut, odd clothes, and her quirky voice and persona. She just wanted to have fun. She bopped and she put out this great ballad. Written by Cindy with Rob Hyman <laughs> of the Hooters. Very appropriate. Very appropriate. And they danced. And they danced. <laughs> this is all kinds of 80s production with the synth backdrop and the synthy bass. But I'll tell you what, the song really captures the somber vibe of the lyrics, which are about a relationship that's ending or temporarily being put on hold. But there's still a lot of love and emotional baggage carried on. The chorus is extremely well-crafted and memorable, but the true star of the show are Cindy's vocals, which are really sensitive, tender, and heartfelt. Her voice is the secret weapon. I feel she's a very underrated vocalist. She supposedly has a four-octave range, and she has a lot more power than she's given credit for. Cindy was the first woman to have four hits from her debut album on the Billboard Hot 100, and this was the biggest one reaching number one. The video was played constantly on MTV, and Cindy had a major presence on the music scene for a couple of years there, playing up her she's-so-unusual image with her New York accent and her (laughs) ties to professional wrestling. (laughs) She's been a longtime LGBT rights supporter, and she still records and tours, so good on you, Cindy. I dig this tune. Heck yeah. How can you not? You can't. It's just a beautiful song. It really is. The following track is Lucky Star, performed by Madonna. Shannon, you like Madonna? 
I love Madonna, especially early Madonna. And you know, and as much as I'm not that crazy about her later, her later material, and I know she's got a new album coming out, I think, um, there, she's so important in music history. The stuff, I mean, just her, not, not just her music, her presence, her fashion, her style. I mean, everything about her is just, I am woman, hear me roar. I mean, she's incredible. This song in particular, the reason why I chose it was because it comes from the debut album. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's not, I guess, critically, it was kind of considered like a mediocre type of tune. And I understand why, except that I think it's a really cool danceable tune. And that's what it's meant to be. It's easy to sing. I like the words to it. And I loved the video, which is what it's most notable for. In fact, if we're talking about early Madonna, in in, in, especially when it comes to fashion, this she set. This is where it begins. She sets the trend right here, just with that single black outfit with her floppy hair and the black bow in there, dancing around with her two backup guys, rolling around in the white background screen, you know that type of thing. She's. I just think she's incredibly um, electric. She just is fun. And she's got that another voice. It's like, you know, you know, you know, everything is, (laughs) I would kind of compare her to a Cindy Lauper too, except I guess Cindy does have the better, the better vocal range of the two, but, um, incredibly, I mean, influential. I mean, everybody from this point forward musically, and especially in the pop scene, you know, whatever it becomes, whatever it morphs into right into our current time is going to be influenced by Madonna to some degree. There's, you can't, can't escape it. That is how important musically she is, especially for women. The song is pretty cool. I mean, when you think about it, it's it's electronic sounding. It's pretty simple with hand clapping and it's got that groovy guitar with, the, you know, the kind of a, a bubbling bass. And I do like that guitar. It's kind of got like a jangly sound to it. And it's it's just a cool chorus. And I and I think it's it's just fun to sing. I like it. Right. I agree with the guitar part. I think it's the guy was Iris Siegel who played it, who's got kind of like a Nile Rodgers kind of chic kind of a thing going. Yeah. And that, I mean, we're still kind of, because this is like 1983, 1984, we're still kind of in the tail. Okay, yeah, so we're still coming out of that tail end of the, the disco stuff, still kind of having some presence in pop music. And so uh, it's good stuff, definitely. Even Prince kind of had, had that element yeah. too, for yes. sure. Um, I like this era of Madonna's vocally. Like, this is kind of when she still had that kind of like nasally kind of, Pixie-ish kind of thing going. Yeah. Yes. Her, her voice got like a lot deeper and like it kind of got a, like I kind of got away from it like except for like songs like Live to Tell. Like that's like a really cool vocal performance. Well that might be part. her transition right there. When you, you think, really hit it. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Right. Because I think you know what which is funny about that when you say that about her voice it felt like it was really falsetto at that point. She was yeah. really trying to make a point to sound different instead of just letting her natural I don't know resonance come out. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an interesting observation. No, that thing is almost like a parallel to like Mike Patton. I mean, Mike Patton started out as kind of like the nasally kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of like yeah. soul guy. And then like all of a sudden he got more. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes from that to like all his like appearances on other people's albums. Be like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Did I get it right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's, yeah. <laughs> you might have listened to the man before. <laughs> but no, this, when I was a kid, this, this, yeah, I, I did. I was a big fan of this era of Madonna. And she was like one of the first celebrities to make me have impure thoughts and go to the concert. <laughs> um, so I, she'll always have that 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 space in my life. <laughs> but great song, great choice. This might shock the both of you, but I actually like early Madonna, or I should say, '80s Madonna, up to "Like a Prayer," when she totally went into the naked books and overtly pushing the sex angle in the music. She kind of lost the plot a bit for me. 
but this woman has made a career of totally maximizing her talents. To me, she's not the best singer, not the best dancer, not even the sexiest pop star of the 80s, but she had a gift for blending all of these elements together in a tantalizing package that made her irresistible to the boys, as she was an undeniable sex symbol, though actually she never really did much for me. Oh. Yeah. But the girls loved her, too, because she was a style and fashion icon to them. She had huge ambitions and did not hold back. She went for it. And she hit the big time in a big way. She and I remember you had the Like a Virgin album on vinyl. And yes, we used I to did. listen to that together while we were playing Mega Mania on uh, Atari 2600. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I still remember you letting me <laughs> yeah. play that. I just remember having the record. That's awesome. This song is 80s dance pop, all synths and glossy production, and it totally works. Madonna wrote this track herself. And I admit I'm a sucker for her higher register vocals, more so than that lower voice we were talking about, which she kind of mm-hmm. used on her ballads and eventually mm-hmm. completely gave herself over to. Mm, she yeah. Uh, she doesn't even sing in this higher. Ch- I don't. Know, maybe she can't anymore. I don't could know. Be, well, maybe yeah. she, that, that very well could be true because I mean that happens naturally for women, probably men too. I mean, yeah. well, it does happen for men. Yeah, we I age. like chirpy Madonna. Yeah, yeah I chirp- do too. I do Lyrically, too. it's about comparing someone's physical body to a celestial body, and isn't that just heavenly? <laughs> the video was popular too, as this woman was designed for the MTV generation, and the image of her rolling around on the floor dressed in black was provocative in a kind of harmless sort of way. She got. A lot more provocative yeah, later yeah, on. Without a doubt. But I like this track. Yeah. I think one of the most painful things I ever saw, because I used to love David Letterman, because he has like that those cringeworthy moments, that his interview yes. with her right around the time that the sex book came out, you're just like, you can tell he's just not comfortable, he's just annoyed with her. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yow, wow. So yeah. tell, tell us a little bit more about this This album that's coming out now. Yeah, she pushed his buttons because she, yeah. she would do that. She had no qualms about that. No, not at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, she was known as the queen of pop, but really she was the queen of shock. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, really yeah. what she was after. And, and she was totally in control. She knew what she was doing oh, at all times. All oh, the yeah. time. All the time. I can't even begin to imagine being inside that woman's body. I mean, I remember seeing like a long, long time ago, she, was, um, she did an interview with Oprah and we're talking about squeaky clean. Like she's like, I mean, she eats well, she exercises. I mean, everything about her personally, she really keeps together and she keeps it together well in order to have this presence out in public. I guess that's the only reason what I can think. I mean, that's how she's managed to maintain that, that I don't know how she's been able to keep it going. I guess you have to take yeah. care of yourself immaculately. It's yeah. got to be the Kabbalah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you would run into her like there. She's a massive yoga person. Yes, that type of stuff, you know? The next track is What's Love Got to Do With It? Performed by Tina Turner. That it's only the thrill of boy-meeting girl opposites attract It's physical Must try to ignore that it means more than that. Oh, what's love got to do? Got to do with it. What's love but a second-hand emotion? Shannon laid on us. You know, it's funny. I wish I had appreciated this song more when I was younger because I do remember when it came out and I remember it was a huge, I mean, it was a huge hit. And I knew who Tina Turner was. And at this time, she's already had, I think this is her fifth album, Private Dancer. But this song took right off. And the other interesting thing about this song that I didn't realize until recently was that, she, well, that 
not only did she not write it, which I actually, I did know that part. The part that I found interesting was that she was like the fifth or sixth person to pick yeah, it, it up. It was passed around. Oh. It was passed around, including Donna Summer, who yep. sat on it for a while. And then it wound up on Tina Turner and she turned it into a masterpiece. And the reason why I think that is, is because this song is her. Everything about this song to me is, is like what her and Ike Turner were like. Like that was their relationship. It was tumultuous. It was abusive. It was horrible. And it was how she got her start. And she had to break herself physically away from him. I mean, it was, it was awful. So I, I always thought this song was kind of written for her, but come to find out, she kind of fell into it. And then they ended up doing a movie in the 90s, you know, later on, basically with the same title. And it's, it's, it's interesting. But I, I love, I, there's like this, like, I, I don't know, I just, this song is so smooth and um, groovy. And she's got a voice that's, I mean, that's powerful. She could start out really soft and then she can totally belt it out big time. And it does have a bit of a gravel to it, but it never, ever grates on your nerves. It's just beautiful. And I, I, I don't know. I just love her. I, she seems to me like a survivor and that's how I always think of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I remember the summer of ni- summer of 1984. We moved to Massachusetts from uh, Connecticut. I remember this song. That summer, this song was just like everywhere. That and of course the theme to Ghostbusters. But more mm-hmm. of this song. This is a song that definitely stuck off the night here. Prior to that, my only exposure to Tina Turner had been with Ike, uh, like appearances on like Solid Gold and them doing their version of Proud Mary. Yeah, which at mm-hmm. the time I didn't dig. Right. But now going back, I was like. Yeah, now I you can, do. Yeah, and I can yes. take, and they could take a, t- a song and totally make it their own. Sure, I have mixed feelings on Ike Turner, as I'm sure a lot of people do. Yes. I mean, between yeah. what he put her through, also as a guy who's like given, been given credit for really recording one of the first rock songs, Rocket '88, and never really getting credit for it. Yeah. So I mean, I can't you know excuse the guy for what he did, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's this uh, their story is a lot more complex than I think anybody probably gives. Credit oh, I think so to. too. Yeah. Well, especially huh. considering the fact that she, you know, was so adamant about keeping her name that she made sure that that was taken care of in court when they finally divorced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she wasn't going to let go of Turner. So, I mean, obviously the relationship left a mark on her and not just in such a way that she had to forget it, but it was hers. She owned it and she deserved it. So, yeah. What well, can you say more about her voice? It's just it's smoky and it's sexy. It's smoky. just uh, yeah. it definitely like. It, it sums up the vibe I think they were going for the song. I mean, I, I really couldn't. I love Donna Summer, but I couldn't picture Donna Summer really pulling this one off. Yeah, the same not by a long of, shot. Tina Turner yeah. did. Um, and uh, I guess that the, uh, like I didn't even notice till now, but the chorus does have like more of a reggae kind of a feel to it. Like the verse sections are kind of like you know, it does whatever. the guitar. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, does. Yeah, it totally yeah. does. Definitely yes. reggae. Did and I've always had lukewarm feelings towards reggae, but in this sense, in the little snippet you get in this chorus, good by me. Yeah. I always like that part that goes at, you know, yeah. it's yeah. about that. Yeah. I like even short that. Ooh, 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 it's got to be a synth, right? Yeah, or Zamfir. Pan pipes. Yeah. <laughs> K-Tel Records presents the session guy from What's Love Got to Do With It, Zamfir. <laughs> I can't think about that. Taking on Eiffel 65, I'm Blue, Dava <laughs> Barracuda done like that though, like <laughs> oh man, that would have taxed Jim Fear. Watch Sam Fear to set his pipes, his pipes of pan on fire on stage, Monterey pop style. So 
finally the sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> made me think of the Simpsons episode. You ever see the Simpsons episode where um, they're um, God, they're at church. And you know how like Bart would like to you know prank people all the time. Well, he gets the Reverend, and, he, and he's got the sheet music in front of him. And he goes, you know, um, in the Garden of Eden by I Ron Butterfly. Oh yeah! <laughs> Wait a minute, that sounds like rock and or roll. Yeah. <laughs> There's a podcast called Rock and or Roll. It's a really good one. <laughs> you got it from yeah. the greeting. Yeah, and he does have it right in the beginning. He does have he does I, have it right in the beginning. I remember the first so, time I saw that. Yeah. I thought I, I couldn't breathe. That just made me think of that because there's the you know the woman on the organ she's doing the solo and she like just out of the end. That's how Sam feels. <laughs> Reverend Lovejoy. <Yeah. laughs> the comeback success story of the whole playlist is right here, with the former Anna Mae Bullock finding monster solo success as Tina Turner with this track right here. Written by British singer-songwriters Terry Britton and Graham Lyle, this song was given to Cliff Richard, Phyllis Hyman, <laughs> Donna Summer, and British pop group Bucks Fizz before Tina got it, and it definitely has all the hallmarks of an 80s pop tune, mid-tempo and layered synth, synth, synths. A far cry from Tina's early days in the R&B group, the Ike and Tina Turner Review, where she belted out her vocals and danced around with the best pair of gams in the business. Tina had been through some shit by the 80s as she escaped an abusive marriage to Ike Turner and was attempting to rebuild her career. And her voice, though still soulful, has a bit of world weariness to it that serves this song really well. The lyrics tell the tale of someone burned by love in the past who's afraid of her growing feelings for somebody new, so she's guarded and doesn't throw the word love around lightly, something Tina could certainly relate to. And this was a smash, number one on the Billboard Hot 100, and it put Tina Turner on the path of a full-fledged return to glory that she richly deserved. The following track is You Oughta Know, performed by Alanis Morissette. Shannon, give it to us. Everybody loves this song. Who wouldn't love this song? This song is all about telling your ex off. I mean, just telling them where to take it. In fact, she even uses, you know, fuck in there, you know, even though not maybe not in that sense. She was just, you know, but you know. Anyway, I'm not going to say it. But anyway, this song is powerful. And I the reason why I included this one on the list is because I think this is where we start to transition into like the new age of female artists. Like we've departed from the eighties, the seventies, you know, we've done the sixties. We've even done, you know, right, right back through the thirties. If we were talking about Billie Holiday, now we're entering a whole new age and there's a whole slew of women that come to follow this. And this is, a, I mean, talk about empowerment, female empowerment. It, this is just a really cool tune. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, for one thing, Flea and Dave Navarro are playing on it. It's like this grunge and alternative rock type of sound. It's very catchy. It's It's got some, I, I don't know how to describe it. Her vocals alone are just, I mean, 
like, like right now, my teeth are like set on edge. I'm so angry. I want to kill somebody, <laughs> particularly a man. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's just really cool. And it should be included in this list again if we're talking about women. It's kind of funny. She never actually revealed in any type of interview about who the ex was. You can't believe how many people actually stepped up to try to guess if whether or not it was them. And I'm talking some weird names like, you know, Bob Saget. I mean, who the hell would want to write a song like this about Bob Saget? Is that how you pronounce his name even? We're talking about the same guy that was like on, like, you the know. Full House Dad? Full yeah. House. <laughs> I mean, wow. And then you had like Matt LeBlanc from like Friends. <laughs> Seriously. I could probably see it. And then I, I'm not even sure who Dave, uh, Dave Collier that's Uncle Joey. That's the other full out. house. Okay, that's the other dude. Okay, see, that's how, like, I, I'm just like, how do these people, would she really do that? Would she call them at dinner? If she hit <laughs> Uncle Jesse, she'd have the trifecta. I guess she have mercy. Yeah. I mean, I, she, she's kind of, I mean, an interesting musician anyway in the respect that she was trying to shoot for, like, the 80s, like, you know, um, bubblegum pop type of, like, uh, Tiffany. Do you remember Tiffany? She wanted no. to be coming, like coming, Tiffany. Coming to a mall near you. Yeah. Exactly. But that was the kind of music that she was initially writing. And she's an awesome, awesome music writer. And she completely changed her tune at some point. And maybe it was because of this affair that she had with the guys from, you know, Full House. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, Jagged Little Pill was a massive success. I like almost every single song on the album. It's so good. Yeah, it had to be included. It's fantastic. Great. Let's t- this song came out in a really interesting time in music because, like, in the late 80s and early 90s in Seattle, you had, like, the whole Riot Girl thing starting to happen a little bit. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that I remember hearing, like, on the pop charts of real a really angry woman <laughs> dealing with a dude <laughs> on this level, you know? Yeah. And, and and our graphic description and everything. And it was pretty awesome. And it definitely set off. This is, like, in between that Riot Girl stage and, like, Lilith Fair. Yeah. It was, like, sandwiched right, yes. right in, the, in yeah. the middle nicely. As far as like the song itself, I mean, you've got Flea Navarro and I think Ben Montench from the Tom Petty band. Wow. That's wow. a hell of a mix. Yeah, it is. And didn't like the Foo Fighters steal Taylor Hawkins from her too? I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's on this tr- this track, yeah. but it, the no, whole either. sonic gumbo is pretty impressive. Flea's definitely like the MVP on this, oh, I think. Oh, it is. He's awesome. I love that yeah. that jumping bass all over the place. It's so oh, cool. Oh, it's awesome. And that's kind of also interesting because I think Dave Navarro was still in the Chili or uh, yeah, he just joined, right? Yeah. He just yeah, so, yeah. In that interesting time period, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. everybody was still on okay terms, I guess, at this point. And her vocals were interesting. My buddy Brad Beacom, who I think I've mentioned, is the guy who was like got me into like Sublime and like I I showed uh, Tom Waits. He said he always wanted to get Alanis on tour with the Cranberries and call it Hiccupalooza because <laughs> 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 they had that like hiccup yes, in their yeah, vocals. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Brad Beacon, man, that one's for you. Your phrase made it finally to the R4 podcast. Um, but also there's lessons to be learned in this song. Never give a woman a cross-eyed bear mm. and expect no repercussions. Really? Yeah, because it just doesn't work, man. Get that bear's eyes fixed, man. If you really care about her, don't cross the bear's eyes. I mean, and she is pissed off, and it's it's so well written and so well sung. I mean, and she's got a big mouth too, by the way. I would not want her to bite me. It no, would be like, arr, 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 arr. no, I mean, oh my god. Mouth. Her and Carly Simon, and Steven oh, yeah. Tyler, if yes. they ever go cannibal, we're all in trouble. Have a tooth off. <laughs> 
But I will say this. I was, of course, as a guy at the time when it came out, I was like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. An anti-guy song, whatever. But I, a couple... A few years later, down the road, I saw her open up for Tori Amos at Jones Beach. I'm and, sorry. Dude. Well, <laughs> well oh my tell God, Aaron. <laughs> in all fairness, she opened up, and her her live show is fun. Yeah. It's just, this is like a person who genuinely likes being on stage. And I only asked her, what happened to her? Because she, she's like, the last thing I heard about is she did like a reissue yeah. of Jagged Little Pill, and then like, that was yeah. it. I don't know. Yeah. She was God, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of interesting about a lot of, especially these um, 90s female artists. Um, they were so huge. They're like quick flash in the pan. I think what happened with a lot of them was that they actually, they got, well, they, either they had children or they, all of their focus went to their families. At least that's the way that I perceive it in many cases. And I get that you, you can't have it all. Unlike what Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook says, you know, you can't just lean in on certain things. I mean, you're either going to dedicate yourself fully to one thing, especially if you've got the funding to do it, or if you're going to be a musician, at least at this type of caliber, you're going to devote most of your time to that, which means pulling yourself away from home and on tour, likely. So that's how I've always kind of perceived it. So that's what makes also this music really important as well, because, you know, these these women also became wives and mothers and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. Well, here's where my 90s bias seeps in. I like this track fine, but it hasn't aged as well for me as most of the other tracks on your album, Shannon. Uh This was written by Alanis and Glenn Ballard, and structurally it has that 90s grunge feel of quiet verses, loud choruses, and of course I loved all the naughty lyrics at the time about a woman who's been dumped by her guy for an older woman and she's angry about it and basically wants to haunt him and let him know what he's missing. Alanis' delivery is emotive and snotty, and you can really feel the hostility seething in this track. And holy fuck, Nugget, did this song and album blow up. You could not get away from Alanis Morissette for a little while there in the mid-90s. She was kind of the alternative rock goddess of Generation X for a bit there. I don't hate this track, but it's definitely a lesser one for me on this list. This was a single that reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. Who knew Canadians could have so much rage and be full of piss and vinegar, eh? <laughs> Take off. <laughs> <laughs> the next track is All I Want to Do, performed by Cheryl Crow. Back to the phone company, the record store too. Well, then nothing like Billy and me, because all I want Shannon, let's have it. I love this song. This is, I think, her very, was it her first single? It's definitely her first album. And it is so groovy. It is so cool. And I love, like, well, it has a California sound. Definitely. How Mm. how appropriate that it's, you know, all about, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard and all that good stuff. Um, I love the guitar that, that, actually all the guitars, including like, not just like the backing, like that, you know, like the the rhythm there, but also that, um, I want to say, is it slide? It's not slide. It's a pedal steel going on there. It's a pedal steel. Okay, yeah. 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 I love that. It's just such a neat kind of fun little ditty, even though 
it's got some serious subject matter in it, so to speak, you know, even though you all you want to do is have some fun. But um, I love the fact that it's we were talking about Alanis Morissette before and that it, it kind of does add to the grunge alternative type of sound at, at that point. This sound, though, completely departs from that. And I really, really like the fact that it, it does introduce like these California elements and some stuff like we were talking about the Eagles earlier, like it kind of. I kind of hear some of that going on there. And she's got such a cool, nice, light voice. It's just there's nothing, you know, extraordinary over the top. It's just she sings nice and cleanly. You can understand what she's singing. It's great. The lyrics are great. And I think she used to be the backup singer or something for Michael Jackson or or something. All right. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think she's just really unique. I, I, I think she was original. I like this song a lot. I love the album, in fact. So there it is. Ray, you have not lived until you've seen Cheryl Crow in a tall, bouffant, Taylor Dane wig oh. as a backup singer. I mean, the hair is taller yeah. than she is. It's awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's great. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna nick something from uh, something a writer I, uh, in Rolling Stone said about her, Tom Waitress. And the reason I'm gonna say this <laughs> is because Tom Waits. Yeah, in some ways, it's like it, there's kind of a similarity in some of the character studies, kind of like the barfly like sensibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can I can definitely hear like some Tom Waits comparisons in there. Yeah. You can't deny how catchy the chorus for this whole song yeah. is. Oh, I know, I do, I love it. Oh man, and the and the, the steel guitar stuff reminds me of uh, Steelers Will, like uh, yes, oh, caught in the middle does. with you, yeah, caught in the middle with you. Yeah, I'm wondering if they were kind of going for that. Absolutely, and they got that Never, That's awesome, rocker. dude. Yes, yeah. Yes, so. That was really good. Yeah, because I couldn't quite nail it either, but that's totally it. Yes. I mean, between this, if it comes down to it, I may put myself in non-hip category. If it's between this and Holes Live Through This, I'm probably leaning more towards Cheryl Crow yeah. <laughs> at this yeah, point. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Me too. And not this, I, that Live Through This has some good stuff on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got that album too, so I can mm. totally understand that. Yeah. In which a Michael Jackson backup singer makes good. She made a minor name for herself as a session vocalist and songwriter and then recorded a debut album that she scrapped due to its slick production. Cheryl Crow then started hanging out with a loose group of musicians that got together on Tuesday nights for songwriting and jam sessions that they called the Tuesday Night Music Club, and that would become the title of Cheryl's official debut album. The album didn't do much until this, the third single, was released and became a big hit, reaching number two on the Billboard Hot 100. It was written by Cheryl, David Berewald, Bill Buttrell, Kevin Gilbert, and American poet Wynn Cooper, with the lyrics based on Wynn Cooper's poem, Fun. The music has that light, breezy feel with the pedal steel guitar taking up much of the sonic space, with groovy bass underneath and gyro percussion. It also samples elements of the Marvin Gaye song, Got to Give It Up, giving it a light, kind of funk vibe. Cheryl's voice is high, light, and not particularly powerful, though she can get a melody across when she needs to. It serves this material well. The lyrics paint a picture of a group of people hanging out at a bar and not doing much, just kind of aimlessly watching people go about their lives, because all they want to do is have some fun. I like this song. I like Cheryl Crow's first two albums quite a bit. Then it becomes a little bit more spotty for me. The penultimate track is Space Oddity, performed by... Natalie Merchant. This is major town to ground control. I'm stepping through the door. And I'm floating in the most peculiar way. And the stars look very different. Today. For here 
Shannon, you like this version? I do like this song. And I know people out there are probably like, why the hell did she pick this one? Number one, I do love David Bowie and I do love this song. Number two, Natalie Merchant is awesome at cover tunes. I don't know what it is about her. She just pulls them off beautifully. I'm a big Natalie Merchant fan going all the way back to the 10,000 Maniacs. And when she released Tiger Lily, I just fell right in love. I love, love that album. I initially was going to choose a song off of that, but I figured I'd talk my big brother into doing Tiger Lily eventually down the road. But, um, it's kind of funny. For the longest time, you couldn't find this song. The only reason why I, I heard it, and this was back in 2001, was because I had a program called Napster. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this will not affect my security clearance. <laughs> anyway. Well, I was all over because listening close. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I don't, I don't know. It just popped up on somebody's song list. You know, it took me 10 hours to download the thing. And when I finally got it, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, it's just a great version of it. And it's live. It's awesome. And I think it's from the, like, it's like, I think it's called like 1999 live or something like that. I think it's from a live album, but I, I don't think it was out there at the time. And I remember, I, you know, I, oh God, I'm just as bad as Napster. I actually put it on like mix CDs for some of my friends. <laughs> Spread it around. And, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, my best Fuck friend, copyright Andrew. laws. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. <laughs> right my best friend, Andrea, was here a couple of months ago, and she said to me, I, I can't find this song. You know, I, I had the disc, and I had it, you know, downloaded it on my computer. My computer died, and blah, blah, blah. And now I don't have my, you know, this particular disc anymore. And I said, well, Andy, all you got to do is just, like, you know, ask Alexa for it. I, I mean, I asked for it from Google. She goes, you can do that. And I go, hey, Google, play a space, you know, space oddity by Natalie Merchant, and it comes right on, and she's like, "Oh, okay." Sure, playing Amgai. Oh shit, it's playing. It. <laughs> 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 so here you go. There's a lesson in how to use Google. <laughs> so this has been your public service announcement for an outdated and um, you know illegal music service, and one that is completely legit and able to be purchased right down the road. Or online. So what were we talking about? The song, right? Yeah, it's a great it's a great version of it. I love this song. That's all I've got to say about it. Ray, I'm going to try to do this without sounding like a, a judge from American Idol. Uh, it's a bold choice for a cover song. Um, I, I can't imagine how you could take it just because of how epic the original song was and try to make it your own, which I'm not really getting that she's making it her own. Her vocal performance is fine. I've always loved Natalie Merchant as a singer, you know? In fact, I played in a band when I was in college with a, uh, a woman who sounded exactly like Natalie Merchant. And that wasn't the reason I played with her. We just actually were the only two musicians who got along with each other at the time. Yeah. So it worked out pretty slick. And like I said, her voice is pretty, but for on this song, she's not selling me on it, on the lyrics, you know? Um, I'm not getting that same kind of paranoid, kind of spaced out David Bowie effect. And that and that's probably to no fault of her. It, it might even just be because, you know, like I said, just the power of the original kind of overshadowing it. I mean, Pavarotti could probably do a version of it and I'd be like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, you know? But um, I'm not going to say it's, a, it's Raisin Unimpressed musical pick, but it's my meh. <laughs> yeah, I could yeah. see that. And, you know, right. and I get what you're yeah. saying in, in terms of like getting that paranoia across like it does in the, in the original. But I do get the spacey, dreamy part. And I don't think she was actually trying to mold it into something that, you know, I think she was just trying to sound like herself because it, it does sound like her to me. I think she was just literally 
paying homage to it. I just think it's mm-hmm. um, I just think I, I do I, I like it. Damn it. <laughs> okay, it's, I, no, I'd say this is like Gus Van Sant redirecting Psycho. He didn't like remake the movie at all, yeah. but you know right. he's like because he loved the Hitchcock version. He just did. He kept everything the same. Just changed the actors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I completely understand that. Totally. Mm-hmm. Ground control to to <laughs> The three tenors bring you David <laughs> Owen. <laughs> um, boy, I really wish you picked a different song than this shit. <laughs> because I don't mind Natalie Merchant on the whole. I'm not a huge fan, but she has a lot of tunes that I like on her own and with 10,000 Maniacs. But this is one of David Bowie's greatest, most iconic songs. And I don't care who you are, you're not going to get his ghost out of my head on this song. She has a very distinctive voice and a way of phrasing a vocal. It's kind of laid back and flows like a lazy river. She's got that kind of, you know, it works really well with more delicate, sensitive material or a more simmering emotional context. She has quite a few songs I like, but this is not one of them. To my ears, she can't bring the emotional intensity this song needs to have to be sung properly, and it kind of misses the mark. Come on, you're an astronaut getting lost in space. Freak the fuck out, Natalie. She doesn't do it in injustice or anything like Ray said, but it just makes me want to hear the Bowie version, like right now. (laughs) This is my least favorite track on this collection, and that makes it Aaron Stinky Stinker. (laughs) And that brings us to the final track, Valerie, performed by Amy Winehouse. How about this last one? I love this song. I love it so much. I had to end this entire mix on this song because she was a powerful vocalist. She became, or was, I should say, Billie Holiday incarnate. Hmm. She could sing just like her. And I've, I've watched like her documentary. I've heard other songs and things like that. And she could pull off any type of jazz that you can imagine. And then she had her own style of music as well. And this tune, which I, I don't even know how to, it's like, it's so, it's so groovy. It's so cool. And I love the way that she, she just kind of like plays with the words. I mean, it's almost like, like she's like, they're sliding. Like, I, I don't know how to even put it. It's just awesome. And it makes you want to dance. I don't know. It's really sad that she died because I think she really would have had an extraordinary career. She just was incredible. And I think she was, she's way better for the 21st century than say like your, your Fergie's or your, um, or Katy Perry's or, you know, and I guess I probably should, or or Adele. I know that these are, I'm putting down some big names and I'm not trying to put them down. I'm just saying that she took a lot of, lot of heat for, somebody who just wanted to avoid the spotlight as much as possible and was a true musician. I mean, really, truly talented singer. She was just way too picked on by the, by tabloids and by some of just the general public altogether. They just didn't realize what a treasure she really was. So she had to be included because somebody needs to recognize her always. Ray. 
Holy fucking shit. What a voice that woman had. It, it is definitely tragic that she owned. Is she part of the 27 Club? She too? is. Yeah. Yeah, I just... I like. I can only imagine where she would be at this point in her career. It would have been amazing. Um, I like the Bo Diddley kind of sample drum beat that Mark Ronson brought. So yeah, and I think that too. The, the 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 combination of the two of them was just. I didn't hear her first album, but I don't think that was with Ronson, right? I think no. Ronson came on this no. album, and um, that that would have been like the summer of two thousand seven. You couldn't escape Amy Winehouse. It was she was just all over the place. But I, I love the shit out of this song. And this is a song where, like, you can actually get a sense between the lyrics and the singer and her actually selling it. And I actually do... I, I, it seems honest and genuine to me. Or maybe it's just I love lesbian love stories. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's what I turned it into. Yeah. But um, or she was a powerhouse. This song is remarkable. Yeah. Wow, what a voice. This is a cover tune of a song by the Zootons, an English indie rock band. And the original version is pretty good. You know, it's kind of slower, but then Mark Ronson, the producer of Amy Winehouse's smash album Back to Black, got a hold of this and sped it up, gave it an old school Stax Motown type of groove and let Amy do her thing. Technically, this is on Mark Ronson's album version with Amy as guest vocalist and was written by Dave McCabe, Russell Pritchard, Sean Payne, Abby Harding, Paul Malloy and Boyan Chowdhury. (laughs) Amy had a deep, expressive, soulful voice that she could deploy with wild abandon, seemingly careening out of control. Then she could pull it back in and land back on the beat. She admired 50s and 60s girl groups, and that was her entire vibe, from her singing style and musical sound right down to the beehive hairdo and Cleopatra makeup. She also was another disaster of a human being who battled substance abuse issues and displayed bizarre behavior that was tabloid fodder for the British press right up until her death from alcohol poisoning on July 23rd, 2011, another member of the 27 Club. Such a fucking shame, but at least we have tracks like this one to remind us of her formidable talent. Now that the track by track is finished, we'll go into our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which belongs in the 27 Club. (laughs) Shannon, what are your final thoughts on your Women in Music album? My final thoughts are, I I tried, this, this was, I ached and worried and, you know, was all over the place trying to choose songs, just 14 slots all of these musicians, and I had list after list after list. I mean, there are so many people, so many women that are left off. And and I'm brutally aware through each decade that we've covered pretty much who's missing, you know, the the significance historically, you know, the different genres, the, um, the, you know, and personal taste, you know, taking that into account, as well as, you know, if I chose an artist and left another one off, it might be because I wanted to cover them in their entirety later on, such as like Eva Cassidy or like Ricky Lee Jones, or anybody that, that, you know, Blondie. I I keep going and going and going. So in the end, when you said, you know, just pick them, it was like I had a shotgun to my head, and I'm going, what am I going to do? Do it now. (laughs) Pick one. (laughs) Pick a lady artist. (laughs) And so I went, okay, I will. Like right down to like, you know, a space oddity where you're like, what the hell is this? Well, it was something that was different by an artist that I really liked, but if we're going to do Tiger Lily eventually, I can't do a song from that album, I guess. Not right. in my mind. I like right. to like no. make it individual. You're right. Good for thinking. Good thinking. Yes. Yeah. So with that all said, um, this was a difficult thing to put together. I wanted to respect, you know, there's so much respect for women and what they've accomplished, and all the different aspects 
and not just like, you know, the lyrics or the songs, their style, right down to their activism. I mean, there, there's just so much to admire. There's so much bravery and courage and um, complete vulnerability all wrapped up tight into these, to these bodies. They're beautiful. I love them. I would give this probably a three. What? Whoa. What? I thought I had to rate it. Oh, not you yet. You do? Yeah. Did you say a three? I said a three. Okay. All right. Are I, you sure? Is I'm that your so final answer? Do you want to phone a friend? Do you want to <laughs> do the 50-50? I, oh, God. Okay. I, yeah. I just, I'm really hard on myself, I think. So, yeah, I guess I would probably give it a four. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'd give it a four. All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right, so for those who don't know the genesis of this list, I, Shannon touched upon it. Like we, she, it was hard to pick just one artist. But I was following the text thread for this initially, and I would see a new artist pop up, and I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, no, no, wait, what is she talking about? No, wait, how are we going to pull that off? No, no. See, I'm very rigid in my routines, and I'm not good with change. So I'm going to be honest with you, Shannon. I was skeptical. I was like, how the hell are we going to pull this off? But you know what? Thank you for doing this list because yeah. I think it brought a new dimension to the show and I definitely want to do something along these lines again for sure. Um, I think this was a great study in the history of popular music and women's involvements and their struggles in it all the way through. So I think, I think we needed this. I think it kind of cleansed the palate of things a little bit and um, all great song choices. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not in love with the Natalie Merchant <laughs> uh, space oddity. But, I mean, I'll take it over, oh, Christ, I don't know. A lot of other stuff that's going on there today. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm going to give this list a five because I nice. think you've got a good smattering of different genres. We've got a little bit of history behind each of the performances. Um, no, let's, please let's do this again. Yeah. Hey, let's give it up to the ladies. I think that this podcast has shown how vital women have been in music, as important and influential as any male artist you care to name. No matter what style or time period you enjoy, women have made their mark and contributed mightily to the musical landscape. Shannon, I think you did an excellent job picking a wide variety of female artists working in different musical genres, from cool jazz to hard rock. And as you well know, you still only scratch the tiniest surface of the vast number of artists who have made an impact on the form. And for any of you listeners not familiar with some of these artists we spotlighted, I urge you to investigate further and dig into the music catalogs of these ladies. You will be richly rewarded. I personally enjoyed every tune on this made-up album, except for the Natalie Merchant song. <laughs> and I give it a four and a half. Great job, Shannon. I'll listen to this again in the future. And to our regular listeners out there, did you like how we did this episode? Is this something you'd like to see us do more of in the future, picking topics and making our own ridiculous records? Since the beginning of the podcast, we've pretty much followed a rigid formula, so maybe this is the type of thing we could do from time to time. Let us know. We'll take your suggestions into consideration. And from the R4 Summit, Eleonora Fagan, known as Billie Holiday, Ella Jane Fitzgerald, Jamesetta Hawkins, known as Etta James, Virginia Patterson Dick, known professionally as Patsy Cline, Janice Lynn Joplin, and Amy Jade Winehouse. Rest in peace. I'd like to dedicate this podcast to super listener Sam George's mom, Lisa Cole. Rest in peace. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, 
Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the R4 Summit branch of the show. You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4 Podcast Aaron and Instagram under R4 Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Give us a shout. We'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host the show with us. And we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Summit, I'm Aaron. I'm Shannon. And I'm Ray. Later. Bye. Hey, guys. What's the difference between ignorance and apathy? What's What's that? that? I don't know, and I don't care. to go like eat at a diner when I hear it for some reason. Cut his plate at so many diners and I bet yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the diner song. Yeah. <laughs> that or walking after midnight. Oh, yeah. I want like the hash and scrambled eggs. You know, yeah.
this. I know, man. <laughs> I love her. Do you think she ever worked with the cunk? You know what? That is something to look up. Yeah. I bet he did. I bet so. It's yeah. Yeah. Both yeah. those powerhouses that they were at that, this stage in their career. I bet the cunt got a piece of everybody. I went down. Beat my ass. <laughs> we're gonna go do that thing in Nashville, and he's gonna be like there with like brass knuckles. We're done. Where's this asshole who keeps ringing my name up every show? It's Dutch. <laughs> it's a it's a common Dutch name. <laughs> we gotta get, maybe we can get a hold of him. Maybe he could do like a uh, what do you call it? Um, a spot promo for us. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> the Zimmer guy's a dick, but check out the <laughs> Alan Maddox and the R4 podcast. <laughs>